Welcome to another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, joined by one of our marketing professors, Kim Saxton. Here on our show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. If this is your first time listening, we want to welcome you to the Kelly family. Now, if you're an organizational leader and if you're wrestling with a tough decision or you just want some expert help on a decision you're getting ready to make, if you know of an individual who'll make a great guest for our show, or you just simply want to say, hey, shoot us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, as we look ahead toward the 2020 presidential race, we find a host of topics being brought to the conversation. One in particular is healthcare. How do we create affordable care while maintaining a high level of excellence? Though we do not have a magical wand to fix this issue here at Kelly, we are working hard to help train the frontline healthcare professionals with the right skills to make better business decisions, ultimately saving us, the patients, lots of money. Starting September 2019, the Kelly School of Business will launch its graduate certificate in medical management to equip non-physician healthcare professionals with the business acumen to change the healthcare industry. On this episode, we're sitting down with the Chief Operating Officer of IU Health, Michelle Janney, who's sharing her journey of leadership from the frontline nurse to C-level suite and why it's important for our healthcare providers to also possess some business training. If you could think back, you know, after your bachelor's degree, uh, as you were looking around, what advice would you give to someone who just like you, was on the front line, has been giving care, and that was your passion, and gets tapped for these special projects, and then sort of says, what am I supposed to do next? Would you encourage someone to get education earlier, or or when is the right time? How did you pull the trigger on that? Wow, so many answers just went through my mind. Seize every opportunity is one uh, uh, word of advice from my experience, the um, the other is, you know, I, I just think with tuition reimbursement, that was my reason for going back to school. I felt that there was financial support there for someone who um, wasn't able to fund education myself. Um, it was like there was money on the table for me. Why wouldn't I take advantage of that opportunity? It seemed um, like a crime not to. I think that was part of my impetus to continue continue on. And you know, the other thing in relation to uh, when, the, you know, I struggle with people who try to find balance in their life. I think that balance is, um, is really um, impossible. And I, I strive for harmony, and I like to think about it as different chapters in my book at different times in my life. There are chapters in my book where I really needed to focus on family, there are chapters in my book where I really needed to focus on career, education, and things like that. And you give up a little on some of the other things to focus on what's important right now. And, you know, to find harmony among the chapters and the different parts of your life, I think, is what's important. In my leadership career, I would say in all of the organizations um, where I've held leadership roles, as I've left, people have told me, that my legacy is developing leaders. And I have been known for pushing everyone to go back to school 
because I'm a believer in formal education. It has served me so well, um, as well as informal education. Both are important, but not one at the expense of another. And so, and I would say, I think I can say this with 100% assurance, no one has ever come back and said, I regret that you pushed me to get started. Because we know getting started is the hardest part. Um, it's like committing to it. And then once you get in that rhythm, like anything else in life, um, whether it's parenting, a new job, a relocation, once you find your rhythm, it becomes your normal. It's your new normal. And, um, and the, the beautiful thing is at the end of education, you really have something to show for it, uh, which so much in life, sometimes you don't. What, you know, how did you push yourself past some of that doubt and push yourself past some of the criticism you received from your own peers because you saw something better? You saw something you could do that would impact more people than just sticking in the front lines nursing care. I had a mentor who helped me see what my strengths were. And that was really before the time of strength finders and, and all of that. Um, and uh, to really understand what my talents were and to build on them, because I would say I grew up um, among people that said, work on your weaknesses. And so when someone just, you know, said, you have a real talent for uh, partnering with others and leading and making a difference, you need to build on that. Um, uh, The organization development uh, work that I saw and the program that I saw was really exciting to me. It was new and different. And I was looking for something new and different because, you know, maybe I was a little arrogant back then, but I kind of felt like I, you know, with the nursing thing, you got that. I was good at it. I had been very, I had actually gone a couple of different pathways. I worked in ICUs. I worked with chemically dependent patients. And so I kept switching that out too, but I kind of felt like I had, had done all that I personally desired to do there. And so it was building on, um, what I enjoyed and what I knew came easy to me and, and brought me joy. Now that you're sitting where you are in, in the higher leadership um, away from the front lines, I mean, you obviously get a much broader and much uh, deeper view of healthcare in general. Um, and so what have you noticed since you've worked your way into leadership? How has healthcare started to evolve and what have those evolutions begun to look like? Well, I I think where I would start is, uh, you know, I began to, so I've been a chief nurse executive for 24 years. It's been my identity. And I've been really successful and fortunate in that role in many large um, systems and facilities, health systems. And, And so coming here to IU Health, what was different was that I didn't have, I had to lead through influence. I didn't have a lot of line reporting, where in all of the other um, organizations, I had these huge budgets and portfolios. And, you know, with that comes a lot of control and power, words that I really don't resonate with, but let's just be honest. It helps you lead and, and get done a lot of what you need to get done. When I came here, the, um, the reporting was into the presidents, not into the system. And so I realized I had to lead through influence that I really had no, hardly any direct reports to, and, uh, and boy, how was I going to do that? That was exciting to me at this point, and I think it was because of the leader development that I did. 
And I would also say I was uh, president of the American Organization of Nurse Executives. And through that, I had a year to get, done, to get my agenda done. And the only way you can advance a national agenda is through influence and people wanting to follow your lead. And so I was very successful in my year, and that felt really good. And so coming here and trying to lead through influence was very exciting to me. So then the next step of moving outside of nursing into a chief operating role, the question was, was, would my leadership be relevant? How much of it was based on my clinical expertise? Because I'd been a nurse for so long and a nurse leader for so long. And did the qualifier of the word nurse before leader make me narrowly defined or was it translatable to a broader portfolio? And so that's been the exciting next transition of my leadership and have found that it is very transferable. And, um, and that um, the clinical base that I have is part of the fabric of the leader that I am. I care for other. I lead through relationships. Um, I lead through shared leadership. Um, I often, I grew up thinking that that was a nursing form of leadership, but through my role today, I found out it's a foundation to all leadership. Yeah, and I, and I think too, even in the scope of the culture of healthcare, you know, what have you noticed that um, has kind of opened your eyes to see um, how the culture within the healthcare system over your 24, you know, your tenure of being a CNO, how has it changed and how have you had to adapt in order to maintain that culture? So um, it's really moved from command and control to leading through influence and through relationships and really boundary spanning and um, design thinking rather than following the rules. And so it's really been a big transformation. And that's a lot of what we're doing here at IU Health now is we've just launched our Promise, the best care designed for you, the IU Health way with new values. And we're putting together a uh, a program, a curriculum to help our leaders commit to values-based leadership. And some of the stories that we're learning along the way is some who've been here, we have a very tenured employees here, which we're really proud of, but some of them have said, you, you know, well, I'm used to following the rules. I'm really good at it. And we're asking them to think differently about things they've traditionally done and um, and so it's an evolution, and and uh, some of them have said, I don't think I can be successful in the, the new expectations of the role, and we're helping to find them better spots. You may have heard about uh, what made national headlines this year, and that is the changes in our dress code policy. Uh, we are a national leader in that for nursing, well, we, we did it for all employees, but it started with nursing. Um, we said that um, tattoos and unnaturally colored hair and piercings were okay. Under the uh, message of bring your whole self to work, if we were going to be authentic leaders, we needed to accept our people for authentically who they are. 
We did a lot of work with that. We tested tattoos in particular with our patients to say, and we had photos where um, we asked them if this would be offensive or if it would impact their relationship with their caregiver. Um, And we learned a lot along the way that our patients were more open-minded than we were (laughs) (laughs) and that we were more traditional in our thinking than they were. And um, and so um, we we messaged out. We trust you. Use good judgment. And um, you know, if your uh, tattoo would be offensive to someone, then we expect you to continue to cover it, which was our old dress code policy. Um, if the gauges in your ears are so large that it would be a risk to safety for you, then that's not acceptable. So it became about um, appropriateness and safety. And uh, we have not had an issue surface since we implemented the new dress code policy and have uh, the Today Show even picked it up. But I just did a webinar last Thursday nationally around how we executed that change. That's an example of moving from a rules-based organization to a values-driven organization. And that's pretty easy to say, but that's hard leadership behavior to change when you're pretty comfortable in following the policies. And, um, and you know, the policies that we have in place are really for the 20% who break the rules and need a lot of direction and not for the 80% that come every day to be their best and do good. So we've had a lot of examples of changes with that, but that the leaders create the environment for employees to thrive in and so being able to be adaptable and to be able to pivot and be agile is one of the critical behaviors necessary for leadership today. And I don't believe that was critical when I started on my journey as a leader. I think one of the big questions is, especially for you, we're starting in, uh, in a, the front lines, practical and clinical care of a patient to working into the business side. I want to know why is it so important for so many clinicians, not even those maybe that inspired to be in the back-end administrative side, but even just to understand their role and their place, why is it so important for them to have more of that business education uh, for nursing or just medicine? It's really important to have the holistic view because at the end of the day, it's about care affordability for our patients. And so, you know, it's pretty easy um, back in the day when I was a bedside nurse to to believe that the end-all be-all was to meet the needs of patients without consideration of there's got to be a funding mechanism for it. You know, as you think about healthcare and how it's set up, there's not a a transaction like in most other things in life that I provide a service and you give me a check or a credit card in the moment. And, And so... So it's set up an interesting dynamic in healthcare where patients come, hopefully they have insurance or other means that are, that's the funding mechanism, and providers deliver care without really expecting the payment to come directly to them. And so with that, sometimes we have a very narrow view of what we're doing and the good we're doing without thinking about the impact and the economics to society and to the individual. Uh, We know that today uh, half of our people can't afford their um, co-pays for their insurance. We know that health care payments 
um, is one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in America. It's important for our clinicians to understand um, the financing of, of health care. We know that econ- the economics of it are in balance with meeting the human need is what's going to make us successful for the patients we serve and for society. And until you really have the experience of building budgets, uh, forming teams, executing changes, and all of those things that surround the direct caregiver, um, it can be a very narrow and dissatisfying view. Uh, We as caregivers often like to say, let us work at top of license. You know, I think in any field that you're in, you want to just do what you've been trained to do and you don't want to do some of the menial tasks that go along with it. And, uh, but really, um, to be able to transform and afford to be able to doing, do something like that may not be realistic. And so sometimes there are expectations because of the narrow view um, that are unrealistic. So getting the broader perspective, not just of what you need to do for clinical practice, but also how it fits into the organization uh, becomes more important. Let me ask you this. As it, Take yourself back to when you were on the front line and you were getting tapped for those special projects. Um, How did you make sure that you were noticed? So if you have that bigger picture and and maybe you've decided to get some education and aspire to leadership, you you still have to get picked to be a leader. So um, what words of advice do you have there? So it may not be the answer you're hoping for. Um, I was one of those... Uh, people who were just tapped on the shoulder and asked. And so I have come from very humble beginnings and have always had very humble aspirations. And and so because of that, really my goal was to serve in whatever way uh, best met the organization that I was a part of. That's um, the ethic I grew up with in in my family. And so for me, what drove me was being my best. And um, I didn't, I was never competitive with others or desired really to move to the next rung. It was just to serve and to be my best. And because of that, people have always tapped me on the shoulder and asked me for um, the next position, oftentimes before I felt I was ready, and I actually believe I was ready, but I go back to saying yes when asked. It's very similar to this chief operating role. When I was um, asked to take it on in an interim role, I said I would, but that I was not interested in the job. It was not something that I desired to do. And um, and so I, I did it. We had hoped it would be a couple of months, and when it got to about the six-month mark, um, my CEO said, um, Michelle, we need you in this role and we need you to give up the chief nurse role. And boy, that was a hard thing for me to do. That's like giving up your identity. And But I would say that I had great joy in the interim role as chief operating officer because I felt like I was making a difference and that those that were working with me were benefiting from my leadership. So it's a very similar story to the question you asked earlier on. And so of course, I said yes. Um, that was where the organization needed me. And I would say that with everything in life, you, 
you get to a point of true excitement and enjoyment when you make a decision that this is now my chapter in my book. Here I am with this new one. It wasn't planned like probably any of the others in my book. And, and um, I'm uh, getting great reward because I feel like I'm doing meaningful work. And I think too, what's, what's really interesting about that is for, for you, it wasn't trying to aspire for a position. You were just working to be the best you that you could be. And then others started to notice. And I think for a lot of people, that's, I think that's forgetful because a lot of people get stuck in the, I want to be this position. So whatever I have to do, whoever I have to talk to, instead you just worked on, okay, what can I, how can I just be a better person in my role? And naturally that was saw by other leaders calling you up. And you're reminding me of something I think that's very different with our, you know, we have so many generations that we're leading these days and, um, and, you know, we like to uh, blame the millennials for so many things. And, you know, I don't like to use the word millennial because so much negativity is cast on it. My team uses the word early careerist. Um, and because we were all early careerists at one time, and we were all different as early careerists. Um, but really, their trajectory is not vertical, our newer generations. And that's a beautiful thing. And we, the leaders, have to get comfortable with it rather than trying to fit them in a box the way we've always done it, which is stepwise and vertical. And so we're seeing, so when we take some of our traditions and our rules away, we begin to see people flourish in ways like that. And they begin to realize that I don't have to move from this step on the ladder to this step on the ladder. And it frees them up to be and do what they really want to do at that moment in their, in their career and in their life. And so we're finding uh, great joy in, in doing that. But there are a lot of traditions and barriers that kind of artificial, I would say, that are, are in the way that, that don't allow enough of that, I think. Well, on so many levels, you're, this conversation has been super inspirational. Just hearing you have the strength from when, within to speak up, um, translating those ideas into leadership principles and in, empowering the organization to move to values-based leadership is awesome. And then being able to put on the care hat and the business hat and merge those two worlds to create a more powerful entity um, seems like you've really accomplished a lot in your career. Do you have any last thoughts you want to share with our audience about um, where healthcare is headed or what your latest challenges are? Well, I want to start by saying how fortunate I've been and how grateful I am for the career path that I've had. Um, and, um, you know, all of the decisions I made, I consider myself very lucky for the decisions that I've made. As far as the future of healthcare, you know, I, th I think we're, um, you know, there's a lot of change that could be coming. And so we're in the, in the crosshairs of living in a, in a fee-for-service environment knowing that values-based payment could be just around the corner, uh, depending upon a presidential election or a vote. And to be able to move from that traditional way of being to uh, the values-based uh, payment is a huge shift. And so leading an organization, being ready, being successful, continuing to be successful in fee-for-service and being ready at a moment's notice to sw switch to population health and values-based care 
is uh, va- very challenging um, and uh, energizing, I guess I would say at the same time. And, you know, IU Health has been very fortunate in, in that we are well positioned and recognized throughout the nation of being poised for success with that. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside one of our marketing professors, Kim Saxton. Here on our show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.